When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 275 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I'm joined by a first-time guest to the show, all the way from Scotland via Barca Universal, Total Football Analysis, and his new podcast, Johan's Rondos. It's Domagoy Kostin Shuk. Thanks for joining the show, Domagoy. Hi, Dan. I'm so glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I got through your Croatian name. I, I, I did it. Oh. <laughs> so we, we, start with a, we start on a good note. <laughs> That's usually the biggest hurdle. So it should be you know, smooth sailing uh, from now on. So for those who don't know Domagoy, he's a rising star both on Twitter and with his writings. And you have shown yourself to be quite adept at talking tactics. So that's some of what we'll do today. I mean, this is a podcast. It's a long form. So we do have people's ears long enough to talk some tactics. And we will be reviewing the Stuttgart friendly from the weekend, discuss the Kayato loan move and plenty more. So you ready, Domagoy? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. So I think for me with that, I came out with the five things we learned on YouTube. And I think the one that while I we will talk about the fullbacks, we will talk about Gabi and Nico Gonzalez and the young kids and the ones that excite us in preseason. I think the biggest takeaway is the thing that's going to affect wins and losses over the course of a season. And that's Memphis Dubai and Griezmann mm -hmm. and those two working together. So in the Stuttgart friendly, their position to me stood out as the thing, that, again, the big takeaway. Griezmann basically playing as a false nine with Memphis coming in off the left for the majority of the match. But just like Girona, they didn't stay static like that with the two usually mm -hmm. switching and Demir staying put on the right side. And I also thought that Frankie DeYoung and Memphis and their work together was an interesting thing to note. 
how do you see that shaking out? I mean, I think that's kind of the idea, right? That it'll be, I mean, I actually, they, they did two different things. So is it going to be Memphis in the middle? Is it going to be Griezmann in the middle? I, people say Memphis, uh, Messi in the middle, but it's going to be Messi on the right. I don't think it's going to be Messi in the middle. <laughs> well, yes, I see Memphis as, as being on the left, definitely. Uh, but it depends with Griezmann and Messi. I can see them being like Messi, uh, sorry, Memphis, Messi, Griezmann, so from left to right. And you are right, they were quite dynamic and mobile. I have to say that I was one of the people who were very vocal about Memphis not exactly fitting the profile of Ford Barca. The same as Griezmann, really, but you know, they're both wonderful players in their own right, but this is more about fitting the system rather than you know being being a class player. Well, to me, uh, Messi in the middle could work. Uh, my main takeaway is that if you if you surround Messi with with runners and and with the wingers in general, that that will work. That will work great. Uh, now with Griezmann down the middle, I'm not sure he played a false nine role. I guess should get that's true, but that was without Messi. You have to you have yep. to know, know that. That that's the main takeaway here. Uh, and he was very involved. He was he was actually excellent. I love I love his uh, his performance. But the main takeaway is. That's without Messi. And once Messi enters the fold, everything changes drastically. <laughs> yes, I think yes and no. I think for Griezmann, it's going to continue to be the same problem that he's always had. And I agreed with you too. I mean, people, because mm. uh, I have the podcast for a few years now, you can go back. The Antoine Griezmann thing, I wasn't worried about the player and his quality, but I was worried about where right. he would fit. And it, I think it proved to be right. I said the same thing about Coutinho, and I said the same thing about Memphis. Mm. And I think for Memphis, his positioning has calmed me a little bit. I've been excited to mm. see his hold-up play. I think that's been good. As I said, I don't know why when Griezmann makes those runs in behind the defense, he's not rewarded as much as Memphis is. And it has yeah, to do right. a lot with Messi not being around, sure. But De Jong seems to be, maybe it's their partnership with the Netherlands, but he seems to be much more assured in trying to play that long ball. It's what led to that first goal. And partially what led to the second goal, too, where Griezmann overlapped and Demir got the goal. So I, mm. I think if De Jong is willing to pick the ball up, turn his head around and try to loft it up over the defense when Memphis is going to make that run. And if he's going to make that run behind as often as he did, if he's going to be that tireless and not need to touch the ball as much as I think we expect him to want to based on his personality, based on his reputation, that's going to work out, especially when Messi's dropping deep and looking for that same run. As I said, Griezmann, especially January, February of last year, when Memphis, when Messi and Griezmann, that partnership started really working, you know, Griezmann still was not getting that kind of service that we expected to with that ball over the top. But if they're going to feed Memphis, my one worry, though, is that Memphis will not be seeing enough of the ball when Messi comes back. I think that's the one area that isn't going to translate when the Argentine returns. That Yeah, that could be true. Uh, the thing is, Griezmann was usually always on the left side, and that, mm-hmm. for me, is it's a big issue for him because he's not, he's not a natural winger. So when you put Griezmann on the left and put Memphis on the left, it's, it's a huge difference. So Griezmann on the left, he's a left-footed player who isn't cut out to be a natural winger because he cannot dribble or beat players on pace. So he needs to cut inside, meaning he cuts onto his weaker foot if he's on the left side. And this limits him a lot, you know, limits his options a lot because players are kind of generally more likely to start the dribble or just advance with the ball with a dominant foot. And depending on which side they usually go, it gets easier or more difficult for the defender to stop the dribble. So for a left-footer on the left side, it's easier to go wide if you get it because it follows your dominant foot. Whereas if you go with the left foot towards the right side, you have to move the ball across your body 
and that makes it easier for the defender to tackle and intercept. So for Griezmann, it was always going to be difficult because, of course, he would prefer to go with his left foot towards the left, but since that means going wide, and going wide means you had either have to beat the defender with a dribble or with pace, that option was never going to work. And the other option was to go with his left foot towards the right side, but that makes it so much more, so much easier for the defender to. So it's a lose-lose situation for him. So that's why I feel if you put him on the right side, you get much more of this inverted winger kind of profile. If you, if you get what I mean. So uh, Memphis Messi Griezmann might might work to to everyone's favor in, in, a, in a way because you have Memphis on the left with those runs. They have Griezmann on the right who. You get much more from his profile if, if you put him that way. Uh, so, I mean, I guess we're, we're going to see what happens next, but that that's my way of thinking, <laughs> looking at it. So this is a bit of a rant, but that's that's the thing with, with, with players and, and their dominant feet and where you deploy them and what, what their profiles actually look like within a system. <laughs> well, I'm actually looking for Griezmann and his positioning at the other side of the ball. And this is going to lead into one of the, the big threads you had on Twitter about possession and about counterattacks. And I also always use that nerd word, rest defense, that by playing Griezmann as that false nine underneath potentially Messi and Memphis with one, well, both of them, both Memphis and Messi having the ability on the left and right side to drop in and receive the ball and try to orchestrate play that way. By having Griezmann yeah. as that false nine, he's in that position for when either Messi or Memphis dribbles straight and loses the ball. Or if Pedri were to be given more of a role to or license to go forward, as he has for Spain and, well, right. Spain in both the Euros and the Olympics. So if they're going to try to push uh, Pedri a bit farther up through the middle and having Griezmann drop in a bit, I don't think Griezmann mm-hmm. is dropping in to combine and play his with his back to goal. I think Memphis is actually doing that a bit when they switch spots. Again, they're not yeah, saying static. But to have Griezmann in the middle to be that first line of defense to cut out that counterattack, it takes a bit of pressure off Busquets having to cut out those counterattacks. And we saw a bit of that in February and March when Kuman switched to that 3-5-2. And, and that's what partly helped that 3-5-2, that Griezmann was a bit deeper in his defensive positionings. Yeah, sure, he looked like a fullback at times. But I, I think the idea is that if one of your wingers, whoever it may be, and we're calling Messi a winger for this experiment, but that means that Griezmann is always in the right position. So I, I do want to transition now as well, kind of on that same line, that with that front line, we can talk about Griezmann and Messi and Memphis and all their goal scoring and all their offensive accolades because Barcelona are going to put up goals. I think we already understand that if Barca can register all of their players, plus Aguero, sure, whoever, they will put the ball in the back of the net. The worry Mm -hmm. is can they keep the ball out of their own net? And part of that is going to be cutting out and stopping those counterattacks. And I don't think of anything I've learned from the first three preseason games that Barca have necessarily improved upon that with the people that they've picked up in the offseason. So with that front line is where we should talk about how Koeman can improve upon last year, both with high possession and high pressure. And how does Barca stop those counterattacks? And you have spoken a bit about giving up possession and how that might be a positive sometimes. And, and since I simplified your idea to the 100th degree, do you mind, do you mind elaborating? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, you have to know that this is a concept that was mostly, as, as the title suggests, it's more theoretical. So yeah. there is no clear proof that yielding possession or losing the ball on purpose is something that teams actually consistently practice. So simply because there is no way to tell when a lost ball is actually a planned action as opposed to just being an error or a mistake in possession. I mean, we can only assume, and the data does kind of narrow things down to a certain extent, but even with that, it's still more of an educated guess, if you will. But the main idea is that some teams, they have 
they do like calculated risks. That's that's maybe a better expression for it. They they attempt high risk passes or maybe just passes that they know that are likely to fail, but they have a structure in place in that in case that happens. So it's sort of like counter pressing as a safety net for, for your high high risk uh, attempts, you know, to advance the ball. So it's it is something that Barca could do, but I'm not sure about that because their counter pressing and just rest defense has been very poor. That structure needs to improve if, if they're going to implement something like this. Uh, so my idea was I can divide my piece or my way of thinking into three different aspects, which is one would be counter pressing the second ball. That's you know the, the, the examples of Liverpool and Bayern. They do this a lot. They just hoop the ball up front uh, to a target that's not likely to win the air. And then once the ball settles, the second ball, they just counter press it, you know, just in, in aggressively. And then they can they can attack the opposition who is kind of disorganized and not just ready, not ready for, to, to, to defend that. Uh, the other option is the high risk, high reward passing, that, which I talked about. So you essentially, you send the ball into an area that, that you, you feel like is advantageous to you. But in case it fails, you already have a structure in place to to implement as a safety net, as I already said. And the third would be kind of passive and active yielding of possession, which is which is a coin, which is a term I kind of coined myself. It's not a thing. <laughs> um, passive yielding of possession would be essentially a pressing trap. You lure the opposition into an area you want them to be in, and then you call it press. So it's a pressing, pressing trap in its essence. And actively would be kind of forcing the ball into an area that you want it, it to be and then counter pressing it to, to win it back. Uh, so even if you don't have a clear target in that area, you still can counter press the opposition and that way uh, uh, get access to that area. So it's, it's a bit theoretical and still, I, I've talked to some coaches and um, most of them agree that this is something that they can implement you know, in their training sessions and maybe in games as well. But at the same time, there are still things that are not exactly clear here. For example, one counterpoint on it was, which is interestingly mentioned by a coach as well, was that it's difficult, difficult to even consider long balls as lost possession because the opponent never really has the ball in the first place. Uh, you don't even control the ball. It's just a fraction of a second possession, if you can even call it that way. That they win the aerial duel and then maybe have a second once the second ball is received and just before the counter-pressing commences. So it, it, it is a bit tricky, and um, I'm not sure... It's something that Barca can use because they don't win aerial duels and they don't really use target men. So they would kind of intentionally lose the aerial duel but then have this counter-pressing structure in place to kind of win the ball. I could see that working, but their press is not really filling me with confidence they can pull it off successfully. (laughs) When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
to be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right. I, I think the two glaring issues as the adapting that idea to FC Barcelona is one, as we talked about Busquets's mobility. I think the only way that works is if De Jong were to play the pivot, which he's not playing the pivot. And we're going to get to the midfield rotation in a bit. So yes, Busquets is part of the issue. And then I think the combination of both playing Lay and, and PK. So you basically have three problems in your spine that all of those three should not be playing a high possession, high pressure, pressure just because of, I mean, the physicality of it, and it's just not going to work out in that way. And you mentioned, too, about with Barca not having a target striker, you're giving away now the middle third of your plan of attack. Like, yes, the belief would be that you would win those 50-50 balls with Pedri and De Jong, but again, the margin of error would be we know we're not winning in that top, top third, and we know we're in trouble the minute that Pedri and De Jong are bypassed. So to have that kind of counterattack just relying on that second line of rest defense is a lot to ask. And then even dropping Griezmann in deeper, and it, it's not truly going to get the uh, the guaranteed approach. The one way I do see this working, not even giving away possession, that final one where they're, you're purposely yielding, but to put it in a spot where, or be willing to take chances and lose the ball in certain places. While we know that Messi cuts in, and that's a big issue about Messi cutting in and then losing the ball in the middle of the field, that's when Barca are really cut out on that counterattack. When other people are running forward to him, off him, to his 
diagonals, we'll say the left and the right, about 10 to 15 yards in front of it, whether it's Pedri, whether it's Griezmann, that means somebody is out. But using that 3-5-2, which is now back to a 4-3-3, but at least using the overlapping of those fullbacks in Alba and Dest and being willing to lose those balls. And I think this is where we transition a bit to talk about that fullback rotation because mm-hmm. with Alba being willing or willing to lose the ball with him and the trust that Pedri is already set up in the right spot to win the ball back, you're willing to give Alba that license to run, especially if you now have Memphis also crashing in to the middle of the field or trying to combine with him out to the up left. And then for Dest, yeah, it's preseason, but so far what we've seen from him is I think Kuman has given him a green light to give the ball away, to try to mm-hmm. dribble. That seems to be the thing he's good at. And I want to remind people too that Dest is still just 20 years old. He has a lot of work to do. And I think for as exciting as he was for those first two, three months, he's what we anticipated. He's now under the microscope that Kool-Aid's want him to be to improve. They want to see actual yeah. tangible improvements in his game. And I think, unfortunately, I think people are going to be out on Dest early. I just want to warn everybody that I'm the American, so I'm going to be steadfast to death <laughs> until the day he would leave the club. But I do want to see Dest improve, and I'm willing to give him a long leash because of his age. But as far as what Kuman showed us against Stuttgart, Dest is the backup left back, and Sergio Roberto will get time in midfield and at right back. And I, I said it in the, the YouTube review, after six years of doing it, Roberto playing right back is not an experiment anymore. That's because a, as we're doing this, Emerson is being presented. And I get the sense that Emerson is your starting right back. I get the sense, and this is, I mean, it's not, it doesn't take a genius to know this, that Jordi Alba is your starting left back. And I think yeah. Dest is the backup at both positions. And where does that put Sergio Roberto? I know everyone says, get him out of my club. I, I know he's the guy that everyone's now turned on now that Rakitic <laughs> is gone. But Roberto is going to be at FC Barcelona this year. I, I don't see how he's not. I, we go over it every time that even, uh, I'll get, I, I know I've given you a lot here, but even the Coutinho news, that Coutinho is going to be incorporated in the club this year. Yeah. If you think that Coutinho's sticking around, and then you also believe that Sergio Roberto's leaving, you're, t- you're taking crazy pills because <laughs> there's, a, there's a double chance that Roberto is at the club as opposed to Coutinho this season. So, I mean, we're gonna, it almost combines the fullback rotation and the midfield rotation because you're, we're basically asking, where is Sergio Roberto? But in the same regard, like, I mean, I guess who cares? If he's fourth, third or fourth or fifth on the midfield depth chart and he's third on the right back depth chart, why are we worrying about Sergio Roberto even though he's going to get paid as if he belongs there? Yeah, I mean, with Coutinho, is it's definitely more the case of the club not being able to shift him than yeah. not wanting to shift him. That's that's the core of the issue. But with Roberto, I agree. Yeah, I mean, he's not exactly the first name in the sheet, neither for me nor the club. They know that he's, he's going to be, as you said, the third or the fourth choice in, in both both positions because he just cannot break through. I mean, in midfield, there's too much quality. I, I don't see him benching either of the players you know any of them uh, and, and as fullback is the same thing whenever Roberto plays he does give you uh, something you need he makes those runs he usually inverts as well uh, there is an option that to play him there but he has more reliability at this point I think even in the friendly you, you've seen that Stuttgart were kind of targeting his, his area they were kind of whenever they had a good chance it was coming down that right side Barcelona's right side where Roberto was at. Um, and with this, I feel like, yes, he is very young. He still can improve and he will improve. But if he's going to make it, I feel it, it has to be in the right side of the pitch. It won't be on the left side. Because uh, he is a right footed player and that limits him a lot when he's on the left side because he relies on those crosses. He relies on the dribbling that he makes. And he's just not in the position to do that on the left side. 
because I come back to the thing I was talking about with Griezmann wanting to go to the left. Best wants to go to the right because of his dominant foot, and it makes it very difficult, you know, to to overlap, to provide width, and to and to beat defenders uh, out wide on the left side. And then even if he does, it's difficult for him to cross as well because it's right footed. How is he going? How is he going to cross on the left side of the pitch? It's difficult. If he's going to make it, he has to be on the right side. But he has stiff competition with Emerson, who I feel I feel Emerson is a bit more more well-rounded at this point. Maybe Dest has the attacking edge a bit, but Emerson is that kind of more more um, powerful, physical mm-hmm. profile that that kind of gives you both things. He gives you the, in the attack a lot, a lot in the attack, but also he gives you a lot defensively as well. He can. We'll see how that translates to Barca. At that is he was one of the best right backs. In La Liga, um, I mean, we'll see how if, if he, he can kind of continue doing the same thing. But I've recently done a, a kind of data analysis of, of best young defenders in La Liga, and Emerson was surprisingly to me, he was topping the charts and 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 a lot of those metrics. And it surprised me even when his his possession was adjusted to Barcelona's possession, so and to see how the stats would would look like, and it, it was it was. It was impressive. So I'm I'm hoping that he can translate that to, to Barca this season. Yeah, I think Emerson does everything really well. I I, I mean, I've watched mm-hmm. him tens of tens of times, both with Brazil and with Real Betis. And he does invert a little bit, but it's not something you would trust him to do the way that Roberto does. He can mm-hmm. dribble one-on-one to the outside like Des does, but that's not something that you consistently expect him to do. But he can do all of those things at a competent level. And he combines the best of Roberto, the best of Des, but he also, of the three, is the best defender of that Mm. bunch as well. So he's not as quick as Dest, but he's also positioning-wise, as far as helping with build-up, he's not going to do the same thing Roberto does. But yeah, I think all around, people are going to be happy with with Emerson. And right back is a position that I think because of Pep Guardiola and Man City, we overdid that reliance on fullbacks and how you, you have to have the best, best fullbacks in the world to compete, but because they're so limited, especially left back, because you're limited by that huge drop-off where if you don't have one of the top 10 left backs in the world, now you've got a huge drop-off in talent to the next one. And Barca still have Jordi Alba, who, I mean, again, I'll I'll say it uh, until blue in the face, that you could be frustrated at all the emotional things, all the history, and all the things that Jordi Alba is, and all the lack of defense, and getting in behind, and who he is, but Jordi Alba is still one of the top five I mean, statistical analysis plus just what you can see and how he impacts a game. One of the top five left backs in the world. And on the other side, the drop off, and there's no disrespect to Nelson Semedo, but right back just became such a worrying spot for Barcelona. And Roberto at right back is such the weak link on the field. You just need mm-hmm. to not be looking at right back. You need to say that, hey, that's a position that we're fine. We're stable. Is, a, is the right back going to win the game for us? Not necessarily, but the yeah. right back also isn't a position of liability. And I think that's exactly what Emerson is. You said statistically, I think I'm even underrating him a bit. But what I saw from Brazil where he's, not that Real Betis doesn't have superstars, but when he is surrounded with superstars, he does take an even larger step into the background, if you will. I think, not that he gets lost, but I I just think he kind of fits into a system. So I'm interested to see how often he overlaps. And it keeps going back to Messi. Until Messi shows up, we don't know. And so how will Emerson and Messi work? If Messi gets, we'll say, the best out of Emerson... Barca have one of the best right backs. I mean, immediately, people will say that he's one of the best right backs in the world. That's what's going to happen. I, I mean, I guarantee it. That if, if, if he's starting to look good, is he one of the right ba- best right backs in the world? Not yet. He's not close. He's still young. He's still working on it. But if Messi can bring some stuff out of him, 
people are going to be singing the praises of Emerson very, very quickly. Let's hope so. But I mean, if Messi's on start on the right and you have him inverting, then Emerson will kind of have to overlap mm-hmm. because otherwise Barca don't have a right wing. That's the problem that was there with Samero as well and with Roberto to an extent because if you don't have an attacking fullback on the right and you have no natural winger in front of it, then who's going to occupy that spot? Who's going to provide a width on the, on the right side? How do you uh, feel about Emerson's crossing? I am hot and cold on it. It's, I mean, the numbers say that it's not terrible, but it's also definitely not a strong suit in his game. Not a strong suit in his game. And the thing with bar sign crossing is they need a specific profile crosser. They don't need a traditional, you know, lofted ball into the box kind of cross. They don't have any target men to, to aim for. So they need right. kind of deep crosses, like cut, cut, up, cut back to the edge of the box and, you know, those, those low, low crosses as well. And that's the thing about Des, for example. His crossing ability is much better, I feel, because he has this a wider repertoire of crosses. He can do all sorts of crosses, and that suits Barca style more than Emerson, I, I would say. I mean, but it depends. It depends. Um, I, I, I can still see Emerson being being um, the, the the preferred choice, as you said. Yeah, so it'll be Emerson and Alba, as I said. I mean, Alejandro Balde mm-hmm. is the one fullback we haven't spoken about, and I don't think anything changes about... I appreciate that it changed my mind on him. My calculus has always been that he'll make some Copa del Rey appearances. He looks like he'll be in the first team eventually. And yes. I, I think that spectrum of still not being ready for the first team, but eventually being a regular in the first team, I mean, that's a long bit of distance, and that can take time. And so he's, yeah. in, that, he's in that window, if you will, right? I put him in that, mm-hmm. that he still needs time, but he'll get there as opposed to players that need time and may never get there, or players that we're trying to push too quickly. <laughs> Gabi, we'll get to him in a second. <laughs> but for Balde, that, yeah, that I, I think Balde, it's fine that he didn't play against Stuttgart. He might play mm-hmm. against Red Bull Salzburg midweek. But yeah, he'll make a few appearances, but Dest is still going to be that backup left back. I think this, the belief is still that Dest, even being uncomfortable with his left foot, is still yeah. just, he just knows the system. He understands what it takes to be uh, first teamer in FC Barcelona in comparison to to Balde, who is still going through the growing pains, especially of defending at the yeah. at the top top level. So we'll we'll get to him. But how you like an Alejandro Balde? I mean, from what I've seen in the friendlies, uh, it, that that he looked he looked excellent. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think that everyone kind of stood up and take, took notice of that. But the the fact that he didn't really did he play against at all? He didn't, right? Uh, no, yeah, he warmed so, up. He was about to come on like the 90th exactly. minute. But what was that going to do? Uh, that kind of makes me feel like Kuman Kuman doesn't really see him as as a as a clear. I mean, it can, doesn't have to mean anything. It's just a friendly force and all that. We we shouldn't jump to conclusions, but it kind of makes me feel like he didn't play that much. So it makes me feel like Kuman has kind of relegated him to one of the lower options, if you if you will. So I I do think I agree that uh, it's gonna be all by Emerson and then Desk kind of covering uh, both sides and Roberta as well in the mix. So. I like Balde. From what I've seen, he is a promising uh, fullback, and he he should definitely make the first team eventually. Is it going to be now? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a prominent feature, but further down the line, yes, I would love to see him uh, get get minutes and eventually make it, of course. Right. His preseason minutes don't tell anything about the way that Kuman views no. him. It just means that before the season begins... If Des is going to be out the backup for Alba, then he needs to be playing in the preseason to be prepared to do that in the regular season, more so yeah, than yeah. Balde, who will be playing left back with Barca B, and we'll, we'll see him there, and we'll see him get his minutes, and I think we'll see him again this season. No worries about that. Now, 
on to the midfield. It took us uh, a bit of time, but I know everyone <laughs> wanted to hear us talk about Gabi and Nico Gonzalez. So, um, yes, exactly. you know, the thing about the midfield, I know he is, that being Kuman is missing his physical do-everything midfielder, but the collection of players he has at his disposal does allow him to play a lot of different interesting combinations. And mm-hmm. I think what I've learned from preseason is that I just, outside of Busquets, DeYoung, and Pedri, we don't truly know who he trusts. So, I mean, Levon is off this show, but he's been an advocate for Griezmann as a midfielder. But assuming that's not happening uh, and that he is somewhere in the forward line, that leaves Busquets, DeYoung, Pedri. And then I'm going to say, I guess in this order, Roberto, Puj, Gabi, Nico Gonzalez, Pjanic, and Coutinho... And maybe still Yes Moriba, though I think that's less than 10% at this point. But don't count him out just yet. But that leaves in <laughs> all of those. Again, Roberto, Puj, Gabi, Nico Gonzalez, Pjanic, Coutinho, and maybe Irash Moriba. And what that tells me is that it's a lot of unknown behind the guaranteed trio of Pedri, De Jong, and Busquets. But there's also a lot of talent that something right could happen. There is some kind of formula where Kuman could get the best out of a rotation of four or five. Again, we're... We have to get, we have to count some of those players out. Probably Pjanic mm-hmm. even more so than anyone else. He looks like he'll sneak his way out of the club, but Probably. there's going to be four to five, right? And it's what if what is a rotation and if a rotation. But to me, Damagori, I'm a little worried that it's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of Pedri de Jong and Busquets game in and game out again. That's that's the feeling I'm getting. Yes, and I would agree with that. I don't think that Kuma is going to. Mix things up that often. That that's definitely a given. Uh, beyond the, the, those three midfielders, I'm not sure. I mean, I would like to think that Pooch is somewhere in there, but and again, I've discussed this with Navid uh, on our podcast. And has us. There's kind of this feeling that Gavi is going to push Pooch out of the squad. That he is the one. They kind of similar in profiles, and it seems like Kuman might prefer Gavi over Pooch. I w- we'll see. I mean, the the thing is. The club apparently want Pooch to stay, but if he's going to stay, he has to play because otherwise it wouldn't make sense for him to stay. So uh, it's a tricky situation for sure. I, I do feel like Pooch will get more minutes this season than the last one because otherwise I don't I generally have no idea why they don't send him a loan or something. Um, but Gavi, his emergence now in, in preseason, that kind of changes everything. I, I think if someone someone from the youngsters are going to, is going to get more chances, I think it's Gavi actually. Gavi, Pooch, and now Nico. Nico is a weird case. I think he has a good chance of featuring just because Kuman seems to see him as a as a pivot, which you know people take it as a face value. They they, they see him and they say he's the Busquets heir, but he was actually more of an interior for Barca B. So it's it's not really his position. <laughs> I mean, he was an attacking uh, but, midfielder too at the Juvenil A level. He used to be mm. way up the pitch, and he slowly moved his way back. He did play mm. pivot a little bit in the, the, the lower levels, yeah. but that's because every Barca midfielder uh, plays in different spots. But Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So I think if he's going to make it, he has to make it at, at, at the uh, DM spot, at the pivot spot, because there's just too much competition higher up the pitch. And um, with with Pooch and, and Gavi, I, I don't think that Nico is going to make it as an eight. But as a pivot, he could he could be in, in, the, in kind of the broader rotation because simply because Barca don't have pivots. I mean, De Jong can play there, of course, but if you play De Jong as a pivot, you kind of limit him too much. Kind of he he needs more freedom. He needs more freedom to move up, and Barca's pivots don't really have that kind of freedom to feel. Yeah, I mean, and that's the interesting thing about what Kuman is expecting of his midfielders, both the two interiors and the pivot. And mm-hmm. for Gabi, I want to speak about him first. That. 
on second viewing, I was much more impressed with him than the first time. I thought the first like 10, 15, 20 minutes, Stuttgart were pressing him a bit higher and a bit with, with a bit more intensity and ferocity than he was against Girona and Nastique. And I thought he was a little bit shut down at times in where he wanted to go. But then something seemed to click around the 22nd, 23rd minute. And then he just found the game. And after that, I thought, I mean, he was excellent. And so Mm -hmm. we're getting to the cycle every year that when we see Ansu Fati, we see Pedri. And the weird thing about Ansu Fati and Pedri is that the hype that was given to them, and it's crazy that they're still 18, but the hype that was given to them in preseason wound up bearing fruit. Fati was Mm -hmm. just as good as advertised with what we saw in the preseason. And Pedri was just as good as advertised in the preseason. Now, Fati even came up a little later. He didn't come in the full preseason. He came up basically the member of Juvenil A, under Valverde, and then by October he's playing. But yeah, in the case of Pedri, he, we were wondering, oh, he's going to go out on loan, and now he's playing games at 17. And a reminder that Gabi, in less than a month, a few weeks away, he turned 17. And I say it every week, but it's true, every show, that if he's now a 17-year-old player, not a 16, does that change the calculus? Does that make us think that he's more of an adult, that he's a little more ready? I mean, physically, he obviously is a child, so he looks like a child. But the, the lateral passes he makes, the diagonal passes he makes... His positioning, I mean, even physically, what he can't do, he makes up for with the same thing that Pedri does by getting him his yeah. body in the right position. And you want to talk about that goal-saving tackle he made in the second <laughs> half. Those are important things to look at. He understands where he needs to be. And it's one thing to want to make that run and want to save the goal. It's another to understand the timing of that run and be able to cut the ball out in the way that he did. And so his mind is just beyond it. He looks like he's 23, 24 years old. And those players are going to play under Kuman. He's not afraid to play them. Uh, Nico is the one that I'm a little more polarized, I think, than some others who really praise his, 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 his appearance uh, against Stuttgart. And for me, it's not that I wasn't impressed with Nico. I think he's doing the job that he's being asked to do as the pivot. But he, because De Young is not a typical La Masia interior, I kind of don't fault Nico for the fact that I don't think he looked truly comfortable. And Busquets never got comfortable with that double pivot. So... For Nico, I think there were times when he'd be looking and De Jong would be behind him, and then he would shade forward and try to create something and find that space in the middle of the field as an interior where he is comfortable as well. And so he tried mm-hmm. to be, you know, five, ten yards in front of De Jong and give him an outlet in that way. But De Jong's movement and De Jong's per chance to dribble, I think, is putting Nico kind of on the back foot. And that's what I think he just didn't look completely comfortable with. And I still think Nico is just he's just a step slow, where when the Liga competition and especially, I, I don't think he would play in you know high-level Champions League matches or whatever, but even, I think, mid-level La Liga teams at the moment will give him trouble. Just his decision-making is correct. He's making the right looks. He's looking to his left, looking to his right, checks his shoulders, and he delivers the proper pass. But I think he's just delivering it just a, a half-second slow for what's required of the first team. And that could just be him warming up to the first team. It could be figuring out how to work with De Young. But if he can speed that up, Again, it's the right idea. His mind is in the right place. But if he could just speed that up a little bit, I think it'll put a lot more trust in, in what I'm expecting. I also, I think, am doing a bad job because I might be comparing him to Busquets. How do you compare anybody to Busquets? You can't. So calling him a successor of Busquets is completely, it's unfair to Nico. It is. It is, yeah. But you just can't help it because they even look like, I mean, the way they, they, they run and they just the stature, it kind of, I kind of look at the, at the pitch, I look at the game, and I'm like, is this Busquets or Nico? <laughs> they kind of, are pretty similar, but you are right. Those those comparisons are never good. They, they can be so detrimental to young players. And uh, well, some of them thrive with those comparisons. Some of them thrive on the hype and and, and the exposure they get. But I will see. I do agree that Nico was 
he was excellent that game, and uh, and I do also agree on the, on the fact that he was a bit too slow with some of his decisions. I feel like he he understood the dynamic well. For example, when Dion would drop, he did make sure that he would kind of open the passing lanes higher up to kind of advance the ball at all times. But the thing is, he still doesn't really know how to open those passing shots. He doesn't really know how to move to open them and then to exploit the space. I felt a couple of times that Stuttgart kind of, they, they didn't really have to work that hard to mark him out of the game. In some instances, it didn't happen a lot because they didn't really, they didn't really post that, that much threat to Barca in the first place. But I felt like a better team who was better suited to kind of defending in that mid block or D block would kind of find a way to shut Nico off and, and, and he wouldn't know where to move or how to move to kind of open those passing lanes because Busquets does it perfectly. He drops when he needs to drop, drop and he can kind of stay high when, when, when the other team needs him and he moves in a way that, that kind of opens the passing channels for the center backs. And then when he does receive the ball, he just needs a touch to, to kind of uh, break free of the pressure. And I'm not sure that Nico at this moment, at this level, has that in his arsenal. He might get it. I mean, he, we can see the foundation there, so he is definitely getting to a point where he could be used as, a, you know, as, as the first-team player, as first-team pivot. But some of those moves make me kind of think that the better teams would, I don't want to say easily shut him down, but they would find ways to shut him down more, far more easily than they would with Busquets. Of course, that's true, because we're talking about a very young player here. But if he's going to play at such a level, if he's going to be first-team material, he needs to kind of improve on those things. Which of course it, it, it's it's normal for such a young player. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing him for not having Busquets level abilities, but <laughs> it, it is true that he still needs to work on those things. Yeah, a reminder that he is just 20 years old, and a reminder too that as far as playing the pivot, he still has to figure out yes how to be man marked. We saw in the Segunda Division Bay playoffs that, or uh, our playoffs that he was getting man marked off the ball by we'll say even the higher teams that were going to get promotion to the second division as well where it's again a credit to Busquets to understand that we have that Barcelona has a player that can receive the ball when he's being man marked be able mm-hmm. to turn around and not only break the midfield line but he can also potentially break that last line of pressures too and we've seen usually it's to Messi very rarely is it to Griezmann yeah. or whoever the other forward may be but those balls to Messi from Busquets to Messi is just not a ball that Nico has in his arsenal right now Mm -hmm. and I've seen him play it he can't play it but with a lot of time and so you have to figure out how to get that ball off while either I mean not even man mark but where you're being forced to break through that pressure when even a bit of pressure with another midfield line is coming at you so yes I think Nico is just a bit away but that does mean that someone else is going to have to back up Busquets at the pivot, I think, this year. It's still, I mean, could it be De Young? I mean, it's being thrown out there, but then I, it just doesn't feel like the right choice, and I don't think Kuma's going to do it. It's where, with a national team with Netherlands, De Young played as an interior, whether, and then Roberto. Roberto is playing, I guess, as a pivot, but not really. He plays as an interior. Pouge is obviously the interior. And so, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to go out too far on a limb, but this is the preseason, so this is where hot takes can happen, but I think Pedri might play defensive midfield more than we think he is. I, I just think that we saw it two or three times uh, in the Copa del Rey. That I mean, it usually happens at the end of games when Puj comes on within ten minutes to le- with ten minutes left. Busquets has to come off because of legs. Then mm. Pedri wound up taking up that defensive midfield spot, even behind De Young. And on what three or four occasions we saw it was Puj and it was De Young and it was Pedri underneath. And that did happen a few times. And 
I just I wonder how much we're going to see that if there really is no other defensive midfielder. And then Iras Moriba, the same thing, where he was projected to potentially be a defensive midfielder, but he is an interior. He's an interior that likes to get forward, yes. likes to be on the edge of the penalty box, and even if he returns, that's where he is. And so I'm actually confused by the fact that the midfielders that, that the club has been connected to, whether it's Saul or Wijnaldum, those are interiors too, right? Yeah. It, so th- it doesn't seem like the club is looking for the pivot, and I feel like the club and Kuman have agreed on when Busquets has to come off or when Busquets is in the game, who's going to play there? I just can't seem to... I'm glad that we don't know. <laughs> it means that they have an ace up their sleeve, but I, I, yeah, I just I can't figure it out. It, it is a bit tricky. I mean, of course you have Pjanic, but it, it could be Pjanic, but I mean, he's leaving for sure, so... Uh, so it could have been him, maybe. But then again, Ganesh is also a different kind of... He is a you know, a player who, who likes to be a bit deeper, but he's a deep-line playmaker. He's not really a, a um, an orchestrator or a pivot per se. So uh, it, it's true. The Barca don't have such a profile. And, and to me, it's weird. It's, it's Nico is being pushed there. While you had Yandro Oriana, who was kind of that profile as well. He could have been that, that man, too. It's it's a bit of a weird situation. And... I, yeah, Pedri at 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 Pivot, I'm not sure. It, it kind of feels like you're sacrificing too much of Pedri's arsenal mm-hmm. when you put him that deep. Uh, so I'm not sure if you if you're chasing a game that that wouldn't really be a rec- recommended course of action. And then again, if you want to kind of protect the result, do you really want Pedri at your, at your, at your Pivot? Again, not really sure about that either. So <laughs> it is it is a bit of a conundrum. I, I feel like I guess. I guess the young, the young would be pushed down. Uh, when push comes to shove, the young would be the one to cover for this guy. Well, what yes. about what about Mangetha? Because we haven't seen that before, but he did play as a defensive midfielder with the Hubenel A and a bit, even one or two games with Barca B. And I mean, we spoke about that fullback rotation, and we didn't mention Mangetha. I mean, that's an mm-hmm. error on us. He might be part of that rotation. He's currently injured for the what third time at the Olympics right now. But so we'll see if he can stay healthy. But He's a member of Kuman's first team, and he's not going to have the time, unlike Kayato, who we'll end the show by talking about. Mingetha, I don't think he's going to have time to arrive back and then get sent on alone and figure out that he doesn't have a space in the squad. I think Kuman might still be wanting to incorporate him. And now that you have Araujo, PK, and Eric Garcia all as right-footed center backs, Lengle mm-hmm. is your left-footed center back, Umtiti probably won't be trusted. Where does, where does Mingetha fit in that rotation, right? If he doesn't fit in the fullback rotation, if he doesn't fit in the center back rotation, and... Is if a pivot is needed, I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I think I just I just want to put it out there that that if you see him in the third or fourth week of the season against whoever it may be, playing in the last 10, 15 minutes as a center as a defensive midfielder, that being Mingetha, I, I just want to prepare people for that possibility. Well, it is a possibility. I mean, on paper, his profile would kind of match that. I mean, not match it, but it would kind of suit it to a certain extent. He is decent on the ball. He is decent defensively as well. So I guess, I guess yes, to answer that question, he, I guess I could see him there. But I feel like at this point, he might be getting the Roberto treatment, kind of being that third or third option and across the board, being that jack of all trades, but master of none in a sense, which is a shame because Migresa is, is someone I like. I, I like his profile. I think that he is one of those young players that, that could that could give some value to the first team. Uh, interestingly, he also in my data analysis he did pop up a couple of couple of metrics and he was one of the uh, impressive players. Well, not exactly top in the charts, but he was decent, uh, which which kind of lead, lets me to believe that that it's 
it might be a more rotational role for him, definitely. And and probably, uh, since he is so versatile, that's, that's the kind of thing. When you're so versatile, you can get to be <laughs> the player to plug all the holes across the board. And that's kind of what Mingueza could, 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 could have uh, in, in next, next season. I mean, we're also assuming, too, that PK at the age of 34 is going to stay healthy. We're also assuming that Araujo, who had tons of injuries last year, is going to stay healthy. And what we kind of finalize this too and speaking of the health of the team is that if Alba Busquets or Messi get injured I think those three more than any others then the club is in trouble just based on the the squad list that is currently out there based on who is currently at the club and speaking of who's at the club or who isn't for all the names that we expected to go out Alice Callado because it's a loan Mm -hmm. so it's not a sale so obviously it can actually happen it looks like he could be going to Club Rouge, who are one of the better teams in Belgium. I think they won what one or two of the last Belgian titles. Yes. So they're, they're a good team that's going to potentially give him Champions League minutes. So that's a good thing. It's not official just yet, but it seems like it'll be official shortly going out on loan. And we kind of understood and felt that against Stuttgart, that, there was some, that he was probably going to be leaving, and now he's gone. And I think it's a good move. Even if Messi is re-signing for a long, long time, Griezmann, Coutinho, those names that are going to be forced to be at the club this year. The club is obviously, when given the opportunity, going to still want to get rid of those players. Again, Aguero is also, what, 34 years old, 33, 34. So this is, I mean, that's a a, a short solution. And Callado, I think, still believes that he could be a part of the long-term solution. So that's why this loan kind of makes sense. But Callado, it's given me Carlos Alenia vibes, just that he's a good, good player. He really is. He's a mm-hmm. first-teamer at uh he's a first team the Liga player somewhere he's a first teamer at a a club that is going to finish fourth to 11th in their league in a top five league that's i just where i feel like he is Callado in the third division was the best player down there but then the yeah. segunda division playoffs came around and he was he was good but he wasn't what he mm-hmm. kind of needed to be to be at fc barcelona and that's no disrespect to him but Cayado is good in the minutes he gets, but is he good enough to play over Dembele and Messi and whatever Yusuf Demir, who's 18, turns into in three years? I'm not sure about that because he'll be 23 this year. So is him at 23 better than those three? I'm not sure about that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, his biggest issue is that just, just the role that he has and the, mm-hmm. his player profile, it's, it's just... Barca seem to have a lot of players with the same profile, you know, playing the same areas, and and those players are all great. I mean, or at least good enough. Uh, and you can't play them all because they occupy the same role, the same position. And Cuadrado has that same issue. He is a false winger of sorts, and with a winger on the right side who likes to drop deep, likes to progress the ball. He like he's a ball dominant winger. Same as Messi, he likes you know number ten role. That's that's bread and butter as well. And it's it's never going to work in in the first team. I mean, I, mean I, I feel like he could be played ahead of some of the bigger names for like Griezmann or Coutinho or Aguero and even Dembele if he's not fit. You know, Cuadrado could get some minutes there, but it's it's difficult. You would have to dose Messi, which is another to- you know topic that that's kind of uh, not so popular, but I think it, it, it might be a possibility or necessity even. Uh, but we'll see. So yes, I agree. Overall, it's a good good move for him. A low move to to a club that will give him hopefully give him steady minutes and European football, so he can kind of get better, improve if if he can, uh, and then come back and hopefully do something. I mean, 
it, it remains to be seen how, how good Demir actually is. I mean, he has a raw talent, and we've seen that in the families. He has been very good. But I'm not exactly sure that he's first team ready. Uh, he still has a way to go, I, I feel like, uh, in certain areas. Uh, I've seen him dribble into traffic far too many times. And uh, I know it's, it's, it's this preseason friendly, so you, you can like, let loose and you do stuff that you may, maybe would not have done in, in a competitive match. But and we, we have to see how Demir adapts to Barca because, you know, far more experienced and more well-rounded and established players have failed to do so. And Criado is someone who knows the club and knows the state, the style of, the, of, of their of their play and philosophy. So maybe that is a slight edge over Demir. But overall, I, as I said, it's tough for him to get minutes in the first team just now. Yeah, I mean, Demir's going to play with Barca B mostly this year, and then he'll probably be bought by the club for the 10 million euros from yeah. that loan, and then he'll be with the first team potentially even next year. I actually am a little higher on, you know, the inverse of Nico that I thought Demir, he just looks like a first team. To, I mean, he's been with the first team at Rapid Vienna for two years now. To me, even at 18, he just, he looks comfortable. He just looks like he belongs there. I'm not saying he's going to take Messi's spot. You know, I'm not putting him in the, the first team squad. Even he'll be with Barca B this year. But yeah. I think just like Kayato, though, I, I want to remind people that Kayato was 22 last year, 21, 22. And Demir is 18, and I think Demir has the potential, honestly, the potential to be the best player in the Spanish third division this year. I, I just think mm-hmm. he's, he's just that good. He's, he's too good for the Spanish third division, having played in the Austrian first division. It doesn't mean he's a Barca first teamer, but it does mean that, as we, as we understand, that improvement is not linear. And this is where I end here, that if Gabi is this good at, at 16, right, if this is his floor, holy moly, right? Like, that, that's what yeah. Gabi is, right? If that's his floor, and that's what I say about these young players. Gabi cannot be ready for the first team, but we're excited about the fact that if he can improve upon what he already does, this kid's going to be one of the best midfielders in the world. I mean, that's not, that's not a hot take. That's if he continues along that progression. And Kayato at 22-23, when he goes out on loan, I hope to see him improve. I hope to see him be... I, for him, it's basically just me more consistent. And if a team isn't revolving around you, can you be a cog in that machine? Because for Barca B the last two years, it's kind of all been about him. He's got a, a, a free role. He's just not going to have with Barca the mm. first team. He's going to have to be much, much more disciplined with positioning. And so to get him in a place that he's going to have to kind of fit into that system to get the best out of him, that makes sense to me. Mm. And I hope to see him improve because players can get better. And we're at a point now with even Puj that it's been one, two years, uh, even to Kike Setien, how has Puj improved? We don't get to see him enough to know if he's actually improved, <laughs> but yeah. in training or in his positioning, I'm trying to figure out what, where these players who are all in the age of 23, 22, 23 years old, how are they getting better? And so back to the Yusuf Demir, and this is, again, I'll wrap it up. I'll give you the final word here. But for Yusuf Demir, there's a great belief when I see the things that he can already do. If that's his floor, he is going to be a terrific player. And so how much better is he going to be next preseason when he's trying to prove himself, that prove to Kuman that he, or whoever is the manager, that he belongs in the first team? Uh, the same thing we talked about with Nico. Can Nico get better? And if Nico can get better on the things we spoke about, he's a first teamer. That's mm. and that's the potential that this generation has. They could all be part of the Barca first team if they improve, if they get better. But as Dembele has shown us time and time again, as the Fati injury might teach us, that progression is not linear. And that is the that is the harbinger of doom. That <laughs> I, I leave you on a negative <laughs> note. But Domagai, can you give a little bit of positivity to end the show and also let people know where they can find you? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. I, I feel like, of course, 
those young players, so the mayor is much ahead of Cuidado, he has that potential to become a much better player. He has the more time to, if they're at the same level just now, or close to each other, he has more potential to kind of you know, skyrocket and overtake Cuidado in that ranking. But at the same time, if you think about, you know, Xavi, for example, how long did he take to, to get it? To get to the stage that he was, he was one of the best players in the world. So it's it's difficult to uh, difficult to kind of measure it that way because you know some players they they find their best selves when they can can the latter mid mid years or kind of 25 26 years and uh, some of them some of them uh, can do that much earlier. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe there is still hope. Okay, I think like there is still a player in there who can. Transform into into a big a big talent a big big player for Barcelona. Um, the problem is, and it, it has been for, for a couple of years, that all the players that have a profile that's that's kind of similar to Messi's, they just kind of didn't find their place in the team. I used to think maybe if we bring someone like Coutinho or someone like Griezmann who kind of have similar profiles to Messi in their movement and their positioning, maybe they can take off the load of Messi. They can bur- they can kind of shoulder the burden and the responsibility. But it's always been that they just disappear under Messi. Messi is just Messi, and he does his thing regardless if there's someone else who can do it as well. Um, so I think it's a it's a big issue of just profiles not meshing together well and not being exactly what Barca needs from them at the moment. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that Gavi and Nico and, and Demir will will kind of grow into the players that we need them to, to be. Uh, and on that note, I'll probably end my <laughs> my positive my positive roundup. Uh, you can, you can find me on Twitter at Vico Steinschak. Uh, you can find me at Johan's Rondos on Top of Analysis and also Barca Universal. So that's where you where you get a look if you want to see more content, more tactics, more Barca. <laughs> yeah, you're, click on his name in the show notes and that'll take you to his Twitter bio. Then you can give him a follow there. So drop him a follow. He's been a great guest on the show. We're also on Twitter too. And Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, and then our closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. You can ask us questions. And Patreon, I've had some stuff coming out there. So supporting the show, that financial incentive uh, with being able to watch this without the ads, that's or listen to this without the ads, that's always important to support the show too. So thank you for that. And then we're on YouTube with uh, match reviews and some other stuff at the Barcelona Podcast. And most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.